and a big warm summer welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters podcast with me, your host, Nigel Palmer. First, I'd like to say a huge thank you to everyone who shared our social media posts, supporting a vegan lifestyle and calling out the hypocrisy of speciesism by those who love their dogs and cats, but then go on to eat cows, pigs and chickens. It has had a massive impact and has been a real breakthrough post for the Wildlife Matters community, being shared literally thousands of times. It's making our voice louder and our commitment even stronger. So thank you. Keep up the great work out there in the Wildlife Matters community, you guys. Brilliant. But we have lots to share with you on this week's Wildlife Matters podcast from the launch of the 2023 Big Butterfly Count. Then come join us as we take an adventure to find Britain's wild summer visitors. And of course, we'll be spending some relaxing time in nature with this week's Mindful Moments, but this week's a bit different. And in Wildlife Matters Investigates, we uncover the depravity of the hunters as they prepare to hunt this year's baby fox cubs. Yes, I know. It's unbelievable the depths that they have sunk to. I mean, do they really believe that by changing the name, we don't know what's really going on? Wildlife Matters will always call out those who persecute our native wildlife because we know it's so precious. But now let's jump into this week's Wildlife Matters podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. On Friday 14th of July, Wildlife Matters attended the launch event for this year's big butterfly count at the Undershore SEN School near Hindhead in Surrey. During the launch event, the students from Undershore discussed the fantastic life cycles of butterflies and moths, learning all about the tricks and tactics that they use to escape predation. Before they had the opportunity to practice their new skills in identifying butterflies and day moths within the school's magnificent grounds. The Big Butterfly Count is an annual citizen science survey carried out by the British public, and that's you and me, and you can all take part as well. It takes just 15 minutes to complete your survey, and you can submit your findings on the free Big Butterfly Count app that's available for iOS or Android phones. Your butterfly and moth sightings help scientists understand the impact of things like last year's 40 degree heat on butterflies and moths and which butterflies and moth species can be seen in different areas all throughout Britain. So please tell us even if you don't find any butterflies during your 15 minute survey because knowing where the butterflies are present and indeed where they're not is vital information to the scientists. Dr Zoe Randall, Senior Surveys Officer at Butterfly Conservation said, This is a crucial year for the big butterfly count. We know that 80% of butterflies in the UK have declined since the 1970s. This means that a fewer butterflies have been seen than in the years gone by. 
The Big Butterfly Camp is open to everyone of any age living in towns, cities, or indeed in the countryside. And it's running from the 14th of July right through to the 6th of August. Last year, almost 100,000 camps took place up and down the whole country. And it would be amazing to receive over 100,000 surveys for 2023. I mean, that's an average of every participant spending combined spending over two and a half years just counting butterflies in their gardens, local parks and countrysides. How amazing is that? The information gathered helps to inform conservation projects and government policies and supports other experts with their research and vital work to protect our planet. In a written statement, Butterfly Conservation President Sir David Attenborough said, a few precious moments spent watching a stunning red admiral or peacock butterfly feeding amongst the flowers in my garden never fails to bring me great pleasure. Lovely statement. Now, coming next on Wildlife Matters Investigates, it's the hunter's prelude to the new hunting season. Originally and most honestly known as cubbing, in recent years they've tried to soften their cruel intentions by calling it autumn cubbing. But now, with every season potentially being their last, due to them being caught out way too many times, they now call it hound exercise. Whatever they call it, nothing disguises the cruelty of hunting. Welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates and today we are looking into hound exercise, autumn hunting, cubbing, whatever you call it, it's three ways that the hunts kill fox cubs. Wildlife Matters is going to expose this vile sport that is nothing like the hunts suggest it is. Autumn hunting is the hunter's prelude to their new hunting season. It's often referred to by hunts as gentle training and it's classified as being suitable for younger members. <laughs> That's incredible. And that means that children from the pony club can actually attend these hunts. So what is autumn hunting? Well, autumn hunting, also called hound exercise, as the hunts now refer to it, was previously known, perhaps more honestly, as cubbing. Hunting takes place when the harvest allows, i.e. once the grain has been harvested. It generally runs throughout September and October, and it will start from the first light at around 6am every morning. The meats, as the hunts refer to them, are held early in the morning as the scent of the foxes is fresh and easier for the young hounds to pick up on. Hounds are trained on the scent of fox urine, which quickly evaporates in the sun's warmth. The hunt meets are sometimes held in the evening too, when the scent is easier to pick up again. Hound packs will be significant in numbers. Most of the hounds will be youngsters trying to make the grade, but will include a few experienced hounds to lead the way. Hunts claim hounds are best trained by killing many foxes. The hounds need to know the smell, look and taste of Charlie. Charlie is the hunter's name for the fox. 
During September and October, fox cubs are preparing to leave their parents. Although these cubs resemble an adult in size, they are still babies and they're very curious and playful. During the day, a vixen will hide out with her cubs undercover, often in thickets and coppices. Farmers and gamekeepers are asked to let the hunt know where the foxes are hiding. Mounted riders and supporters on foot will then surround a thicket or copse in a large circle, and this is known as holding up. The vixen will be aware of the activity, but of course she won't bolt because she has cubs. Anywhere a fox may live is called covert, and that is pronounced with a silent T. So it is cover. The hounds will be entered into the covert, often in complete silence from the hunt. The pack of 30 and even up to 40 hounds will search for the fox's scent. If a cub does try to bolt, the surrounding hunt will bang their saddles, crack their whips and shout, I, 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 creating a cacophony of noise that's designed to scare the fox back into the awaiting hounds. This is repeated until the hounds have savaged all of the fox family. Every so often, a brave fox will bolt through the wall of noise from the encircled hunt. These are known to the hunts as good foxes and are left to provide a good run in the hunting season when it begins properly. This horrific scene is repeated as many times as possible in a day. A hunt will last three to maybe four hours, but they will be hunting for up to six hours by the time October comes. These meets are held up to four times every week. But strangely, hunts never do so on a Sunday. Since the 2005 Hunting Act came into effect, hunts now refer to this as hound exercise, claiming it is just part of the process of preparing their horses, hounds, and the country, which is the area they hunt, for the coming hunting season that will start in early November. Hunts do not wear their hunting pinks whilst they are cubbing, with most riders wearing beige riding joggers and blue or black jackets and caps. Some hunts wear grey or tweed jackets that are known as rat catchers. Whatever name the hunt care to use, cubbing, autumn hunting or hound exercise, they are all illegal under the 2005 Hunting Act and yet, at the time of writing, 18 years after the ban, hunts are still training hounds on fox scent, leading to the inevitable accidents that frequently occur during most meets. Throughout the hunting season, an accident is when the hounds accidentally chase and kill a live fox, supposedly following a pre-laid scent whilst trail hunting. Since the introduction of the hunting act, it is clear that many hunts have blatantly flouted the law and have continued to hunt foxes. Wildlife Matters believes this must change and wants to see a strengthening of the Hunting Act, enforcement of the Act and much stronger sentencing. Cubbing is best described in an extract from fox hunting by the late Duke of Beaufort, Master of the Foxhounds, and it was published by David and Charles in 1980 and I quote, 
Early in the morning, a hunt of mounted riders quietly surrounds a thicket they know to contain a family of foxes. The female fox or vixen hears the movement but will not leave her cover as she has cubs to protect. The huntsmen surround the thicket. They slap their saddles, holler and shout to prevent the fox and her cubs from leaving the thicket. They want to have their fun. He continued. The hounds are sent in and the vixen comes out to protect her cubs. Young fox cubs do not have the skills and knowledge of their parents. They are playful and trusting and unlikely to flee danger. Their inquisitive nature ensures they investigate anything new. And that comes directly from a hunter. The registered hunting packs are estimated to kill some 21 to 25,000 foxes each year. That is a totally irresponsible number of accidents for anybody to have. It's estimated that around 10,000 fox cubs, all babies and under six months old, are killed in autumn hunting, cubbing, whatever you call it. Of course, cub hunting is illegal under the Hunting Act of 2005. And still, after 18 years, the police haven't worked out how to stop this. In Wales and other upland areas, a high proportion of foxes are dug out by terrier men or are flushed using dogs. The lucky ones are shot. Many times they are kept and thrown just in front of the baying hounds where they are unceremoniously ripped to pieces. Outside of the registered packs, many more foxes are hunted. They are flushed, dug out and shot or chased by lurchers and other long dogs. Some of these activities are carried out by farmers, landowners or gamekeepers. The depravity of those people who actively hunt foxes for nothing more than their own pleasure is difficult to understand or indeed try to explain. So here is how a hunter explained cubbing. Never lose sight of the fact that one really well-beaten cub killed fair and square is worth half a dozen fresh ones killed the moment they are found without hounds having to set themselves to the task. It is essential that hounds should have their blood up and learn to be savage with their fox before he is killed. That mindset concerns me. Where would it stop? We need to stand together to ensure this barbaric, cruel and utterly senseless murder of sentient wild animals is effectively stopped and that those who abuse wild animals and flout the laws of this country are brought to justice. Wildlife Matters continues to work and dedicate our resources to end the hunting of wild animals with packs of dogs forever. And that was this week's Wildlife Matters Investigate. And now it's time on the Wildlife Matters podcast to have a mindful moment and enjoy nature together. And today we're doing something just a little different. Instead of identifying wild animals, I'll be taking you to a stunning cove with a pristine sandy beach. You'll have the place all to yourself. It's safe. So please, just close your eyes, relax. Let the calming sounds of nature wash for you.
Where did that take you? I hope that experience has left you feeling calm, relaxed, and ready to face any challenges that come your way. Nature truly is amazing. Now it's time on this week's Wildlife Matters main feature. So join us on a captivating journey across Britain as we look at some of the incredible wildlife that visits us during the summer here in Britain. Get ready to explore the breathtaking beauty of nature in its purest form. Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters main feature and today in the late summer, I think it's high time that Wildlife Matters took a look at some of the wonderful wild summer visitors to Britain's shores. So come along and join me as we have a quick whiz all around the UK and uh, just see who's been visiting us this summer. Whilst most of our native wildlife is in their element, enjoying the warm and light long summer days with plentiful food, we today are turning our attention to looking out for some of the visitors to the UK that migrate to spend their summer in the warm, temperate regions of Britain. There is so much wildlife to see in the British summer, although some bird species are quieter now as they've finished their breeding season and this year's chicks have fledged. But today, Wildlife Matters isn't only looking skywards, no, we are exploring the wildlife in our oceans that surround our island home, the large mammals that call the UK waters home during the summer, and let's not forget the incredible insects in all their colour and attractive appearances that can be heard and seen in the British summertime. For many of us, birds are of interest due to their variety and the distances they travel to the UK. There are so many stunning shapes and colours that arrive to captivate bird enthusiasts and wildlife lovers alike, all here to enjoy the warmer weather and raise their young. Many summer visitors travel as flocks for safety providing stunning aerial displays for us to marvel at and appreciate. Birds are one of the most noticed wildlife species we encounter during the summer, so let's see what we can find on today's walk. 
Well, today you find us on the Welsh island of Skoma. It's a well-renowned spot for spotting one of the most amazing seabirds, and definitely one of my favourites, and that is the puffin. They migrate to their birthplace between April and late July every year. For most of the year though, puffins can be found bobbing around on the Atlantic and even Arctic oceans, often hundreds of kilometres from land. The puffin is perfectly adapted to a marine environment. It keeps its feathers waterproof by applying oil from a gland near its tail as it preens itself. The puffin dives from the water's surface to catch food, using its wings like paddles to fly down to great depths to catch sand eels and other fish. The puffin's large and colourful beak has backward pointing spikes, enabling it to catch as many as 10 small fish at a time without swallowing them and to hold them crosswise across its bill. On the island of Skoma, you will also see guillemots, razorbills, and gannets. One southern visitor comes from southern Africa, and it can stay on the wing for up to 10 months without resting. It even sleeps whilst in flight. But then, these birds do everything in flight, and that includes drinking, eating, and indeed mating. These energetic and well-traveled birds return to the same nesting spots every year, the same spot where they hatched to raise their offspring. Tragically though, swifts are suffering in the UK due to habitat loss as their original nesting sites are either being demolished or destroyed during renovations. Another bird that makes an incredible journey from Africa is the sand martin. Sand martins often arrive here in March to take advantage of sandy cliffs where they can dig and burrow to make their nests. During the long, hot, late summer, sand martins will often be found in large flocks bathing on the rivers, feeding and resting before they make the return journey to Africa in around October each year. There are many other summer visitors you can see or hear in the case of the onomatopoeic, meaning a name taken from the sound of the bird call, and I'm talking about the cuckoo. Many of us don't feel summer has arrived until we've heard the cuckoo call. These summer visitors will lay between 12 and up to 22 eggs in a different nest, leaving the host to raise their young. Female cuckoos are said to lay their eggs in the same species of nest that they themselves hatched in, and unusually, cuckoos laid their eggs in the afternoon. Only the male cuckoo calls. I remember the old saying I learned in childhood, the cuckoo comes in April, sings in May, and changes its tune in the middle of June, and in July he flies away. This refers specifically to the male cuckoo, who in our climate change world will often be found heading back to Africa well before the end of June, with the females following be about a month later, and the chicks will also be on the wing by the time September comes around. In the woodlands or along hedgerows with thicket, listen out for the beautiful song of the nightingale. Nightingales have an astonishingly rich repertoire and can produce well over 1,000 different sounds. 
Now, compare this with the sweet sounding Skylarks that can do around 340 unique sounds, or the beautiful Blackbirds who have around 100 unique sounds, and you begin to understand why the part of the brain responsible for creating sound is more significant in nightingales than in virtually all other birds. The first live radio broadcast of birdsong was of a nightingale in concert with the cellist Beatrice Harrison. It was recorded on the 19th of May 1924 in Oxted, Surrey. It and repeat performances on the same date in subsequent years were so successful that Beatrice received over 50,000 fan letters. That's nearly 100 years ago. Another very popular summer visitor to our shores is the turtle dove. Still, they are becoming rare and endangered as their numbers have reduced by 88% since 1995. And this is mainly due to habitat and food species loss from modern agricultural practices. Oh, let's go back to the coast now and you may well see harbour seals that return to the same site every year to have their pups. You can also see bottlenose dolphins in Cardigan Bay, Wales, where the largest pod resides, but also off the coast of Cornwall and of course Scotland. Harbour porpoises can also be seen around Wales, particularly in the Anglesey area. If you can get yourself to Scotland, you may see the minke and humpback whales, which use the food-rich Scottish waters between May and September each year. Off the shores of the Northern Isles, specifically Orkney and Shetland, you may even see orca or killer whales as they are perhaps better known. They are members of the dolphin family. Orca is no longer a purely migratory species to the UK as one pod comprising of four males and four females has been classified as resident in UK waters. Now how exciting is that? The fantastic basking shark is one of the most amazing marine species that I have ever seen. They are being seen increasingly between May and October and about these gentle giants as they are filter feeders, mostly eating vast quantities of plankton. Baskin sharks do not actively seek food or suck in water. Instead, they swim with their mouths open, catching whatever goes through. Their vast mouths can be up to one meter wide. Can you imagine that? Back in the land and the buzz of a summer meadow now, Whilst noticeably quieter than they have been in the past, meadows still make an incredible sound. To me, insects are fascinating, especially regarding their migrations. Not many know that spiders migrate during spring and summer. They use tiny tendrils of their web to help them drift along on the wind. This can often take them several kilometers from their original birth location, Spiders, though, are what are known as one-way migrators, meaning that they do not return to their birthplace. They simply keep on travelling to create a more extensive distribution of their species, ensuring areas are not overcrowded. Only recently did we realise that the painted lady butterfly 
migrate south to Africa after spending the summer in the UK. It was previously believed that they died in the autumn, but a citizen science project headed up by Butterfly Conservation revealed that the Painted Lady did indeed migrate south every autumn, but made this return journey at high altitude, well out of view of butterfly observers on the ground. In fact, it was radar records that revealed that painted ladies fly at an average height in excess of 500 metres on their southbound trip and can clock up speeds of over 30 miles per hour by selecting favourable conditions. Incredibly, it was revealed that the whole journey is not undertaken by any one individual butterfly but is a series of steps by up to six successive generations. So the painted ladies returning to Africa in the autumn are several generations removed from their ancestors who left to start the journey from Africa earlier in the year. It's just amazing. Another fascinating summer visitor, now believed to be resident in the UK, is the incredible hummingbird hawk moth which is remarkable in many ways. Firstly, it's big, with a wingspan of up to 58 millimetres or around two inches. And unusually, they have a distinctive, quite unusual appearance and the speed of their wings. It is a day-flying moth. The hummingbird hawk moth has orange-brown hind wings that are seen in flight. It has four wings that are greyish brown and a black and white checkered body. The caterpillars can be found from June through to October, but are most frequently found during August. The distinctive green and yellow stripes and pairs of dark brown dots on rows can be seen on the ladies' bed straw, hedge bed straw, and wild madder. Another notable species of moth that can be found visiting the UK in summer is the elephant hawk moth. The elephant hawk moth is a distinctive gold and pink moth. It's seen at dusk in gardens, parks, woods and grassy habitats. The caterpillars resemble elephant trunks and have eye spots to scare off the predators. Well, I hope you've enjoyed meeting some of our summer visitors to the UK. Please do let me know if you're enjoying our walks and uh, talks on the seasonal basis, because we would love to do more of them if you would like to listen to more. You can, of course, find out all about us on our website, which is www.wildlife-matters.org. That's www.wildlife-matters.org. But for now, let me say thank you for joining me on this Whistletop Summer Tour of the UK. My name's Nigel Palmer, and I will be back with another main feature on the next Wildlife Matters podcast. And welcome back and I really hope you enjoyed meeting Britain's wonderful wild summer visitors. We had so much fun on the beach and in the woodlands in Maitland Mac. 
Now is a great time to say hello to all of our new listeners and thank you for being here. We really hope you will become part of the Wildlife Matters community and join us as we explore the beauty of wildlife and nature whilst working hard to stamp out the persecution, cruelty and abuse of sentient animals and break down the fake science, misplaced traditions and the destruction of our natural habitats. Wildlife and nature don't have a voice, but thanks to you, we do. And it's a loud one that is growing stronger all the time. And that's why in the next Wildlife Matters podcast, Wildlife Matters is going onto the upper moorlands of Northern England and Scotland at the start of the grouse shooting season to expose the grouse shooting industry in Wildlife Matters Investigates. And we're taking that even further with our main feature that dispels the myths of the so-called glorious 12. If we're not discussing something here on the Wildlife Matters podcast that you think we should be, then tell us. Get in touch via email. Our email address is hello at wildlife-matters.org. That is hello at wildlife-matters.org. Or you can message us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And now we're also on threads and Substack. We really look forward to hearing from you. But for now, if you like what you hear, then do go and tell somebody. Until next week, have a wild one. That's it. I've been your host, Nigel Palmer. This is Wildlife Man.